What up, y'all? This is Open Mike Eagle, and welcome to another episode of What Had Happened Was, where I sit down every week this season, this is season two, sit down every week with Mr. LP of Run the Jewels fame, of Definitive Jux fame, and we're going all the way back to the beginning in this episode and the last episode with Company Flow. In that first episode, and thank you all for listening, thank you all for downloading, uh, it was incredibly successful for us. Um, and that episode, we covered his backstory, some of his youth leading up to the creation of Company Flow. And since we covered all of that backstory last episode, on this one, we're diving right in with their debut, Fun Crusher Plus, which is the first album I ever heard from them. So it's a very important piece of music to me. And we get to dive in and talk about, you know, the Indelible MCs, which was the collective that included J Treads and Juggernauts. Uh, we talked about Stretch and Bobito and the entire rap scene that sprung up around that very important radio show. Um, we even talk about the seeds and the beginnings of the group breaking up shortly after that album is released. So like I said, thank you all for checking that out. This show is part of the Stony Island Audio Network which is a podcast network that I started to give an opportunity to people inside of hip hop to tell their own stories from their own angles and control their own narratives. Um, one of our shows that we're very proud of is called the fatherhoods pod. You may know one of the hosts from the podcast drink champs. And here he is talking about his podcast on the Stony Island audio network, the fatherhoods pod. What up, this is your boy DJ EFN. You might know me as a drink champ, but first and foremost, I'm a proud father. I linked up with two of my other dad homies, Manny Digital and KGB, to start the Fatherhoods podcast. Each week, we bring you insider hip-hop stories, parenting, and advice and therapy. We discuss the joys and the pains of fatherhood from the realest of perspectives and are often joined by dads, and sometimes even moms and even grandparents from all over the hip-hop community. Ever wonder how artists like Bum B, MCA, Nori, or Angie Martinez go about balancing their families along with their musical careers or what their unique takes on parenting are? You can find out on the Fatherhoods Podcast. The saying is true, it takes a village and we humorously serve as each other's trusted counsel in figuring out how not to screw up being a good dad. The Fatherhoods Podcast. Beats, Beats, rhymes, rhymes, and diapers. And that's the Fatherhoods Podcast, which like all the podcasts on our network, you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. And with that said, let's get into it with LP. What had happened was season two, episode two. This is Fun Crusher Plus. You guys get some snaps for LP. Deluxe labor, the underground undertaker, the whole capers, independent as fuck flavor. Audio exhibit, visit the history, to him winning without fucking with the industry, and him losing without fucking with the industry. No illusion, we tracing every movement in the symphony. This is official from lifting of pencils. Cold flow the depth jugs up to the fist and the pistol. I'm sending questions like infinite missiles. Digging for details when stories from the past come up. And if he don't remember, then he has to shrug. It's what the podcast does, what it happened was. 
so I want to get into the songs some. I mean, we've been talking a lot yeah. about your journey, and, and that's a long... I mean, you know, there's a whole episode's worth of stuff just talking about how you even got to that point. But, I mean, mm. you know, we're talking about the project, so I want to get into the songs a little bit. Um, population Control. We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. For me, that feels like a climax on the album, right? Like you got mm. the, the long mm. sketch or skit mm-hmm. or I don't know what you would call it. Uh, the, the piece where they're... Yeah. Uh, manufacturing food and and bombs and uh, where did that come from? So at the time, my bo- my boy Dave Tompkins, who was a writer, mm-hmm. and he's subsequently done a bunch of really interesting and weird sort of music related books. Um, someone that I became friends with, and um, right around the time when we were making that record, he came through to Brooklyn. I think he's from North Carolina or something, and he came and to Brooklyn, he was maybe moving to Brooklyn, and um, he had this videotape of Holy Mountain by okay. Jodorowsky. Yeah. And I, I had never seen the shit, and we got high and watched that shit, and I was like, I'm, I don't, <laughs> I'm sampling, the, I'm sampling this shit. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but I'm sampling this shit somehow. And they, they had that whole scene in there where they were sort of the gods of, of of war and the gods of capitalism and the gods of, you know, and they were sort of describing what their jobs were. And, okay. and so I ended up just chopping it up and putting it over this weird beat that I had. Um, and the original version of it was probably like three minutes longer than that. And I remember yeah. like, I feel like Lenny was like, you should probably, you should probably, you know, <laughs> trim that down a little bit. And I was like, what? Oh, all right, all right, fine, you know. That was during a time when, again, like you're making your first album, really, you're making it just for yourself. And also when you're you're in, you know, 20, you're like, every thought I have is brilliant and yeah. I just want it to be, you know what I mean? Like it has to be as long as possible. Of Everyone course. has to like the, 
this is my only chance at even fucking putting a record out. So they're gonna get this six minute intro. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get this genius. They're gonna they're, yeah, gonna, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna feel me. They're gonna feel me. And um that that was just this weird little piece that I did. I am the chief of police. And when we did the, the population control song, I just ended up tying it together mm. because it just it just had a it just had a it made sense you know, on the album. We put that 12 inch out actually before the record came out. That was still on like official recordings, which was with the, the name of the record label that me and Just had started to put our to Coflow EP out and 12 inches out. That 12 inch actually technically came out before the album. It was population control and info kill. I felt like at the time, like we took a leap. You know what I mean? I felt like we took like a like leap. Like the in, songs. In, yeah, like in sound, it was a little colder, it was a little meaner, and it was a little weirder, you know? And I was into it. I was like, yo, this is this is where we're headed. We were still developing what we were. Every time we did a jam or a couple of jams, we're still pushing the boundaries, still trying to figure out what we can do, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's interesting. I actually originally recorded Population Control, was a verse that I did started as a freestyle that I did over a Peanut Butter Wolf beat. Wow. I used to hang out with Peanut Butter Wolf back in the day because he had a distribution company. He worked for a distribution company. Started as this thing that I did over, over one of his beats when we went out to Cali. Like, this is sort of early co-flow days. We're just hanging out with, you know, whoever we kind of knew. We had a connection to, to Wolf. And that whole verse was snatched from that little freestyle that I did at his house. I think we were fucking high. When your whole fucking congruental and tepid. So when I pour a hole, don't let me catch you intrepid. I'm telling you, the wishbone bit broken. My favorite crumb cake, your mistake. Enterprise is the indelible, the number one feel back crew of the season. Just give me one reason to splash, that's another flag, half mass, take down the wallow. Company flow, the toughest penis, sucky, sucky. Someone crossing an attempt to defend you, end up on camp. Plus, this agent get orange. ELPFCF rock, first cousin asleep. Red dye, number five, be the potion. It is up to me. No, I, I like to this day, I think that's, that's one of my favorite moments on the record, for sure. So you call it population control, which is like a popular conspiracy theory. Were you really into, were you into that type of shit at the time? Like conspiracy theory, new world order, any of that, that type of shit? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Totally. 100%. Yeah. And this is pre-internet. Yeah, you know, this exactly. Is like, you had to really dig like, for that shit. You had to you get had them to books from the weird dudes on the corner. Correct. You had to read, uh, you know, Behold a Pale mm -hmm. Horse. You had to kind of be looking for it. It, you know, of course, a lot of what that is is just finding some sort of framework to define in some loose way what you already see about the world, right. you know? The shit that and, don't make and, sense based on what the, the, the word of the, you know, powers that be are. Sure. Or the shit that does make sense based on what you see it to be. Yeah, population control is not really a conspiracy theory, is it? Curfews get issued in the daylight. Like, we were imagining martial law. Right. Dystopia. You know, in the... In the, in the Clinton era. Right. <laughs> you know? and when we didn't know how good we had it. Exactly. We were like, it's terrible. This is all terrible. <laughs> we were definitely into it. We weren't, we weren't into it the way that, you know, motherfuckers have it now, where right. it's completely turned around and distorted, and it's little bits of theory and information used and manipulated to sort of militarize people, right. ultimately, for a fucked up idea. You know, at a very young age, I felt like I had a veil lifted I, you know when, once i was separated from 
the system, like mm-hmm. school and all that shit. And then I was kind of on my own and I was reading a lot. I was reading a lot of, you know, shit, Philip K. Dick and, you know, all the sort of paranoid classics or, you know, Orwell and, and going deeper into the library. And my mind was so open to all of that shit to the point where it felt like I, I was going crazy a little mm-hmm. bit. I was like, oh shit, I started to see the world in a way that I had not been able to previously define. Mm-hmm. Something that was uh, taking shape and starting to add some sort of theory behind what I already sensed, right. which was that we had built our society on a foundation of lies right. and we're being coerced spiritually, psychically, intellectually into accepting um, a power structure and roles in a society that every young fucking person knows is bullshit, right. you know? They feel it instinctively, you right. know? Um, right. And it just so happened that that all sort of started to coalesce right around the time that I really started writing and mm. really started really started making records. And it was all mixed in with our humor, too. And it was all mixed in with our... There was no separating it. The idea of Walt Disney and rubbing himself down with olive oil. Like, you know, just... (laughs) It was was absurdity, you know? And I think a lot of what company flow was, was absurdity. It was visual um, absurdity. Again, like we spoke about, not because it was like, hey, here are words that you should take literally. It was like, here are images that we're going to jam into your mind and try and trigger some sort of response towards the way that we're trying to make you feel. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, musical graffiti in a way, you know, definitely. Um, which makes that's me how we ask, looked at it. Yeah, and and that makes me yeah. want to ask about the the song Loon TNS. Um, yeah, yeah. Which was a a, a deep dive on the, the New York graffiti writers, um, and you know, I got to say, as somebody in Chicago who was in the graph, I was, you know. People, I was whacked. I was so whacked. I was like a scratch. I was a scratch bomber. I just used no. to fuck up the train glass. Like it was horrible. Yeah, I gave it up immediately. <laughs> I had this one month in my life where, like, my whole crew, like one by one, they all got arrested except me. So I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm good. I think yeah. I'll, I'll take my good yeah. luck and, and and walk yeah. on. I used to walk around New York, get, and kids would step to me because I looked like Stash, and I didn't know who the fuck it was. <laughs> And I was like, how come I'm getting stepped to randomly yeah. by dudes with shirt off, like paint on their arms and shit, being like, yo, are you Stash? And me <laughs> being like, no, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm just trying to get to my friend's house. Like, I'm, I'm a rapper. And they're like, you sure you're not Stash? You know? Damn. Yeah, that whole world, though, was something that we were very fascinated with. And Just was very much a right, you know, he, right. he loved graffiti in a real way. He even educated me a lot about the names and a lot of the things that were, you know, the shit that I saw, but that he put in a lot of context. That was part of our friendship was that he that he brought to Company Flow. He definitely, I would have to give it to him that he brought the he brought that obsession with Graf in mm-hmm. an, on another level, and I loved it. I was like, yes, tell me more, tell me more, because I knew about it, but I didn't know about it from the perspective of a dude who actually was running around and bombing trains and shit, mm-hmm. and that just just did that when he was a kid. There were two songs on the record that were done. Um, the last two songs on the record. And those were um, Loon TNS, which was the Just Solo jam. Mm-hmm. I wish I could take credit for it because it's such a banger, but, yeah, I, yeah. but that wasn't me. Um, that was Lenny and Just. Mm. They produced that shit. And then the other song that was made at that same time was Last Good Sleep. Oh, okay. Which was the reason those two songs happened was because we had talked about the record and we, we had talked about like, well, what's it? Is it done? What's it missing? You know, and I think we sort of said to each other, let's do something that's personal. The way that we did Company Flow, where we did most of the jams together, but we also had solo jams, that was influenced by like 
Brand Nubian. Mm-hmm. You you listen to a Brand Nubian record, but you're gonna catch a hot fucking Lord Jamar jam. Right. You're gonna catch a you're gonna right. catch a hot Grand Puba jam on their own. And we always loved that because we started as just I was Company Flow, he was Big Just. So right. we were still a little bit to some degree in that mind state. And we looked at it like that's dope. We can do solo jams too, and it's just because we each have our own perspective and it's company flow still and that was just his personal jam that was his version of something that came out of his life Word. and the last good sleep one was mine and because the rest of the record was just us just going Doing off thing, and yeah. and it was mostly not personal you know there wasn't much you couldn't listen to those songs and be like oh i i understand right. you know jamie now i have a sense <laughs> like, of who he is as a guy <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> But no. it's it's interesting. Okay, so that was y'all's personal joints, and um, me being a Chicago head, um, you know, I didn't, I had no idea what Loon TNS was about for a long ass time. And then at the end, he's like, "Obviously, this wasn't made for you, so fuck you." Like, well, can't be fuck me. I, now I got to figure out what the fuck he's talking about. So that was good, you know. Mm-hmm. It actually encouraged me to dig deeper and find out, you know, what it was, which was tight. But last good sleep though, which is the other side of that coin, since that's that's your personal joint. I definitely wanted to ask you about that because, like, it's 2020 now. So now, like, in hip-hop, there's this long history of having songs that, like, go into vulnerable subjects and shit like that. Mm. In 1997, though, uh, you didn't hear a lot of that. Like, it was a very rugged era. There's a lot of, a lot of posturing going on. Mm. And you, you know, made a song that that rang really true and sounded like it was opening up something from your personal life. What went into that decision for you? Well, to some degree, that song I had been trying to write for years at that point. I had taken a crack at different angles of trying to sit down and write about that thing that was very real in my my family and my life and definitely affected me. Um, I remember I, I was dating this girl and we broke up and I walked back to my crib. I, mean, I don't know. I didn't really feel anything. You know what I mean? It was one of those like, you know, all right, like cool like that was inevitable and like (laughs) and then I got back to my house and I was alone in the living room and I just sat down and started writing and for some reason after years of attempting to write something that you know I always would try and write something about that but then just put it to the side right because I couldn't get at it it was too big it was too personal it was too and I wasn't ready in the art I wasn't ready in sort of where I was to feel confident in exposing myself like that or doing justice to it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when, you, when you're writing a song like that, you're, you're taking on the mantle of trying to do justice not only to a song, but also to your mother yes, and your and sister. Yes, and the relationship you know I mean? experience. Exactly. And, and, you know, I came from a family where this event happened and we didn't talk about it. We just mm-hmm. changed the locks, you know. Mm-hmm. There was no conversation. It was an understanding that we no longer talk about that. But it fucked me up for years, and for years I couldn't sleep. I had insomnia. I had, um, I had nightmares of powerlessness, of, of regret, of, of revenge. Mm. And it even affected my life. Shit like chasing someone down into the subway station because I was going to fuck them up mm-hmm. and realizing that it wasn't the dude. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there was no closure whatsoever. And... While everyone had progressed and everyone was cool and, and everyone was good, I was still haunted by that. So there was a part of me that had attempted a couple of times to try and get at it. And one day after this non-emotional breakup, I sit down in, in a 
in my living room, I found myself somehow magically alone. You know, mm-hmm. when you live in your apartment in your early 20s, you're never alone because right. you've got like 20 roommates <laughs> and shit. And I found myself alone and somehow this shit just came out of me. Mm. And I wrote it and I'm crying as I write this thing. And I have no idea why it, it managed to come out at that moment. There was really no precedent for putting this type of jam on a record. No, it wasn't. And, and to be fair, there was no precedent for putting this jam on a company flow record. Right. It didn't really go with the rest of the stuff that we were doing. But I felt like that didn't matter because we were defining what we were. Right. And maybe there was room for that. You know, even, even when, I, when, I, when I recorded it and played it for, like, LAN and shit, and people were crying listening to this thing. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if this one's going on the right, record. Right. Guy. You know, um, but it just felt genuine. It was an artistic breakthrough because it was the first time that I had been able to use language and music to really get at something for myself. There was a lot of healing that came out of that song. That's great. The closure that I never had came out of that because I I ended up playing it for my mother and um, playing it in her kitchen and she burst into tears. And, you know, I got to tell her it was over and I mean it, you know, Mm. and um, and I never had any more dreams. Now, something that I haven't mentioned is that the day that I recorded that I had I had another dream. You know, I had one more of these dreams and these dreams were often things like um, replays of this sort of helpless event, but with me empowered, you know, right. with me with like a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Not being just a fucking whatever I was, I don't know, 12 year old kid who couldn't do shit. And then, and then the dreams never stopped. I named it Last Good Sleep as a reference to the fact that, I mean, really everything about that thing, the description, what happened, my perspective was 100% to the bone, mm. pure and true. And I listened to it and, and I saw that, I, I just recognized that. I was like, there's no more honesty that there's, somehow I, I got it out. And I, I'm so I was like, fuck it, put it on the record. In my mind, it wouldn't connect with anybody because why would anyone want to hear about right. my personal you know, shit? It feels and, like such a unique experience to you at that point. You're not thinking anybody else could connect to it. Correct. And you're just like, this isn't what people are looking for. How is this not self-indulgent? Of course, I've changed my perspective. Thank God I did that because it changed me. I was like, oh, I get it. I I understand art now a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Because art at its most potent is plumbing the depths of that. And you at your most connective is getting the most inward that you possibly can. And it doesn't mean that it's going to connect to everybody. But it means that the people that it does connect to, it's going to connect on a level that you'll never connect with to the people who kind of like or get or are having fun listening to the other shit you're doing. Um, There's going to be one person out of 50 who gets it, but that person's going to get it on a level that, like, you made a mark on that person's life. So, yeah, it was powerful. And once I did that, it really did change art for me. And we'll talk more about Cold Flow, but... Mm -hmm it really did inform the way that I went about my solo record. Because again, that was like the last song that I did on that record. And then I toured it. And then it was like people coming up to me with tears in their eyes and shit. And I was like, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong about what this could mean to people. I mean, you know, I I, I, I just put out an album called Anime Trauma and Divorce. And believe me, I, I so connect with how you must have been feeling. Because, you know, I'm, I'm at that stage where I'm just literally had to face the fucking terror of that feeling of being exposed on that level. But I can mm. look back at that song that you made and be like, damn, this is kind of the lane 
that that kind of came out of that where in this indie shit in this this b-boy shit where um it has been so much about styling and trying to be impressive and trying to you know do this and do that like there's actually room to get into like the discomfort and the uncomfortable shit that we have gone mm-hmm. through that have gotten us to this point so you know i gotta, not only I gotta say not- thank you for that Oh, shit, man. You know, and thank you to everyone before that. You know, like, I think that I think that the truth is, is that it's uh, it's it's something that every artist will have to encounter. Due to this fear that you fuel with anger, actions, disgust, mostly sick most. Never have satisfaction to your bones melt. High incident clips and crumple zones. Hold a fix on you, eternal. Intruder up in my zone. Dwell the matter when months follow. Why you propose only the lonely know. Swallow my mother when she was hollow. Who could blame a woman like her? Singular parent. One love already dissolved and a solution left polluted. Two kids with a father who broke out is resoluted. So fuck it, she needed love, but you provide a false clout. Stomping on the bottom limb under which she just walked out. Knew you was jacking the stepfather. Bit my tongue on the issue next to stormy weather and forced tolerant. The secretly vexed. Wish I would've spoke on it, but why deny the bliss? Mine with a new husband, casted needles, puncture pressures. Briefly lifted the guilt from a divorce, snuffing a pleasure. Now you know, you're like, I, I, family tree at different times, no one can tell you it, no one can teach you it. No one, you can't jump into it. You can't, man, you certainly can't manufacture it. Right. There's one, one thing about pain and about, about, um, is that it doesn't work if you're manufacturing it for a song. Um, and so therefore you should just probably not step to it until it's real. Um, but, um, I think that it is, a waste of the gift of being able to make something artistically to not use the tools that that action provides you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to come up with a decent metaphor, but it'd be like living on the beach and not going in the ocean. Right, right. So you're telling me you've lived on the beach the whole time, but you haven't even gone in the ocean? Like, you should, you should go in the ocean. It's, it's part of the experience. You know, it's you know? funny for me because I spent my whole career just to follow this metaphor, I spent my whole career kind of walking around the edge of the ocean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like pointing at the ocean a lot, but never yeah, actually yeah, yeah. like going in it. Like, so that's that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, man, that that was that was an amazing thing for you to have done, and I'm glad that it also feels like the right thing for you to have done. It did, and ultimately, it was like I said, it, it ended up informing something in me. Like it ended up jostling something loose for me where I, I got addicted to it a little bit mm. i was like oh word you like that well, <laughs> boy, i got some more for you you know what i mean and all these records that i was doing you're just hearing me learn how to be an artist mm-hmm. in a lot of ways so like everyone i'm pretty sure that you couldn't have written a record about you know divorce and trauma when you in, in the first 10 years no. of your career your attempts to become you know your attempts to be an artist that's the type of thing that you have to allow to emerge in you. And I think that the, the truth of the matter is, is that's the one real story that I was able to, that I had to tell anybody at that time. There wasn't other shit that I was really ready to even talk about or had the technical ability to translate to anybody to, you know, to talk about that. That was the one. And that was one that I knew to my core. I was like, yeah, I can tell you this one. Yeah. This one is, this one is a story. So, you know. All right. Well, uh, Back to the to the to the album for a sec. Um, the fire in which you burn. That was a real big song for me, because um, as a b boy, I was in ciphers all the time. Like 
I was always trying to say the live as punchline. I was with people who was always trying to say the live as punchline. So for me, this song felt like, damn, this is this is my world. And this was, you know, company flow with a collective called the Indelible MCs. So this is J Trez, this is Juggernaut, so this is Breeze and uh, Heroin. Am I missing anybody in the Indelibles? Well, Indelibles was Company Flow, J Trez, and the Juggernauts. Mm-hmm. That was that was our little crew. We did probably about I don't know three or four jams, maybe total. I feel like I, I only heard two, so I got to get the rest of it. I got to get them up too. I got to figure out how to get them. Well, we did um, Fire What You Burn. Mm-hmm. Indelibles, Colluding, right? Colluding. Oh, true, 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 true. in a hot zone, got to the Ebola. Manifest brain tumors through the phone as you roam in your motor road. All hail, J&L, the fans rise. We got the grandpas. Foles fantasize runner-up. The closest they can see it because skills are lean. You're not most with half a flow. They can't handle the whole weight. Son's diagnosis. Believe it, believe it. Right. Which was on me and J. Trez. Yeah, going back and which forth. Which was me and J. Trez. That was on the 12-inch. And then we did a jam called Wait. Wait, um, which is on the Lyricist Lounge joint. Yeah, yeah, for sure. From getting in you, the world just stain you permanent like ink and epidermis. From tap to waters, discard this thought of partnership. You may have thought for this position of status, it's entrepreneurship. Matter of fact, and so those like might have been it. I mean, and we appeared here and there on a couple of different things, but it was, you know, yeah, yeah, it was just this moment. It was just this moment. What was the, the movement behind the collective? Like, how did that come together? How did y'all link up? Let's see, how do we link up? Again, we we bump into my memory here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you my version Word. of how we linked up or 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 what I think happened. Juggernauts put out the Clear Blue Skies EP with um, Stretch and Bob. And this is WKCR, the Stretch Armstrong Show with DJ Stretch Armstrong, the Grand Imperial, world-renowned DJ, world traveler, globe trotter, Stretch Boogie, and my name is Bobito. And we were super tight with Stretch and Bob, I was super tight with Bob. And um, so obviously the, during that era, during that during that era that I come from on the Stretch and Bob, the, where it broke me, you know, broke us as artists and they broke the Jugs as artists as well. Jugs were signed to some record label, some yeah. major record label. I forget what it was. It was, it was like Electra or some shit. Electra, I yeah. think you're right. So they did this record for Electra and Electra dropped them. They didn't mm. even put the record out. You know, a perfect example of the disconnect between the time, what major labels were looking for versus the music that they had in their hands. Right. They don't put out what they deem is a record that no one would want to hear, and then it becomes a fucking classic right. to anybody who hears it, right? So for us, it was a classic. It was immediately like, holy shit, these dudes are incredible. And they had this first, they had this jam called Clear Blue Skies. Mm-hmm. Damn it, son, I think it's time we had a little man, a man talking. I heard that you was hand to hand walking down the boulevard, middle of the date with this black chick. Tell me the truth, boy, or you can catch this slap this Which, for anybody who doesn't know about that, was a was a song where 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 Breeze inhabited the character of a white kid and a, and his father. Breeze is not white, but he inhabited this character, and then, and it's this conversation between them. The kid is dating a black girl mm-hmm. and in love with her, and the father is. Old world loves his son, but he's racist, yeah. and he's trying to talk breeze out of it you know his racism is coming out his old world perspective is coming out and the younger white kid is rejecting it so it's this really powerful song it's genius it's genius and i'm to this day and um 
We were doing a wetland show. We were doing a show where it was Company Flow and the Juggernauts. So through that, Breeze got my number. And he got my number through, I think, Bobito. And he hit me up. And he was like, I want to perform Clear Blue Skies. And we've never performed it. Would you be down to play the, um, the sun? Yo. Would you be down to play the sun? Breeze was a co-flow fan, and I was, a, I was a Jugs fan. And I just like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's figure it out. Let's, let's do it. So we did it. We rehearsed this, and I came out in, like, the clear thing that's under a mask. Sometimes yeah. it's like a, it's just a clear, it's the shape of a mask, like a face mask, but it's, uh, it's just plastic, and it's mm-hmm. kind of clear, so it obscures your face. And I came out in that, and I did this performance with him where I was the son and he was the racist dad. Wow. That was our first hang. That's that was our first, amazing. like, really... It's kind of an historical little performance, too. Like, for people who know, who were there, it was a crazy show. And um, from there, we just became friends. And Treads, I knew through this girl, Lauren, who I went to camp with when I was a kid. (laughs) I went to summer camp with uh, this girl, Lauren Wexler, who was a friend of mine for years. And I haven't spoken to in shit, I don't know, 20 years or something. But she introduced me to Jay and their whole crew. And she went to Wesleyan. She brought Company Flow up to Wesley in the Rock, one of our first Mm -hmm. shows. And through her, I kind of met Jay. And I was just like, yo, this dude is ill. And I started producing for him. I started making some jams for Jay Tread. So we had about, I don't know, four songs that I made for him. And I don't think he liked them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everyone wanted to fuck with the dude who produces Company Flow. But then when you realize that the dude who produces Comedy Flow is gonna be is gonna give you like some crazy yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden you're like, maybe I don't. You know what I mean? Like maybe I just wanna be a fan of Company Flow. You know, I, whatever it was, we became friends. Fire what you burn. That was supposed to be a remix of Vital Nerve. Oh shit. Okay. That's how that happened. So we had Vital Nerve and I looped it up and I ran it and I let everybody spit on it. Huh. And and then I went in, as I'm known to do now, and I went in and got high and listened to this shit. And then I was like, fuck that shit, erase the beat. And I just made that beat on the spot. Like, so you made the literally, beat behind the vocals? 100%. Damn. Because, you know, I listen to that song sometimes and I'm like, that's so interesting. Because, like, especially with um, Breeze's verse, like, I hear, like, I hear the... The, the cadence, he, the, the tempo he's at, like, I hear it. But I'm like, how the fuck mm-hmm. did he hear it? You know what I'm saying? Like, because it, right. it just seemed to be so implied within the beat. But he found it. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense that you made he the beat it. around <laughs> it. Wow. Yeah. I let them rock over like a straight up 4-4 four, four beat. You yeah, know, yeah. Vital Nerve, straight up. Yeah. Doom, 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 doom. And what I was doing with that shit, I knew it was ill, but I didn't think everyone was like, this is crazy. This is like, I, this is like from space. It's like Jimi <laughs> Hendrix took, you know, took, licked the toad, you know? And like, <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'm like, really? Like, this shit just sounds like, again, going back to like me thinking that I'm making classic rap records that I just like. This shit just sounded like a fucked up top billing to me. Mm. I was like, you know, that was the inspiration. The inspiration was... But instead of the kicks, I was just doing the snares. Yeah. And I just started fucking with it. And I always heard the notes, the ghost notes. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things about my production. For some weird reason, 
I was always on the ghost note shit. And, you know, when you had the ghost notes, it, it, the rest of it's implied. Right. You know? As long as it's in the structure. And I remember Just came in. He was like, we were high. He was just like, this is the illest shit ever. And I was like, right? It's crazy, right? <laughs> like, it works. Like, somehow it works. And I remember I brought, I brought it on a cassette to Bob's house and played it for him. And he was just like, you could see that his fucking just, his, his mind was blown. And I was like... Thank you. I'm glad because I was really not sure about that. You know, like, yeah. like I, I, I think this dope, but, you know, I, I could see how motherfuckers would think it was crazy. I remember years later, <laughs> not years later, maybe that year that it came out or something, someone sent me a tape of Common up at a radio show. He was freestyling and threw that beat on and he was like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I can't. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I can, you know, yeah. I mean, it it works for that song brilliantly, but yeah, I guess if I'm ciphering, you know, if I'm freestyling a radio station and it comes on, it might be a little tough to to catch that one. Hey, man, we wanted motherfuckers to hear some shit that they yeah. would listen to and it'd be like, "How the fuck did they do that?" Exactly. That's, that's how exactly we, that's, what the thought know, was, you know. And then yeah. it, to pull it together yeah. though was always like the ill shit. So you talked about. Like even even giving Bob the tape, like watching people's face melt, uh, doing the show, touring these songs, and people coming up to you affected and moved by what y'all are doing. How quickly were you able to see the impact of the album once it was out? It wasn't like it is now. Mm-hmm. You actually had to wait until magazines got published, right, to see if anyone was writing there was, about there was it. Was a little time for, for us. Our feedback loop was Stretch and Bob and people who listen to Stretch and Bob and us in the scene and hearing that we're selling the record out of Fat Beats and the shit is going like hotcakes and we're like, word? But we didn't really feel the impact, man. Our lives didn't change. We weren't all of a sudden making a bunch of money and shit. We were just, we we knew there was a buzz. We could feel it from multiple different ways, but it was all weird shit, underground magazines. We already had felt a lot of the love already because the shows that we had done prior to the record even coming out. We did like a show at Wetlands, and it was like there was people there. And then, <laughs> and then, like the next time we did a show at Wetlands, it was like, what's the deal? What's happening in Wetlands? There's some crazy line around the mm. block. Like, what's going? What's going on? Did someone get hurt? <laughs> <laughs> or like, like what's happening? You know, like we don't know what's happening. And it's like, nah, they're literally here to see you. And we're like, word. There's 500 people lined up around this shit. Wow. Like, we started to realize it. And it was a slow burn, but we figured it out. We were like, oh, shit, people are really responding to this shit. But again, it's not like it is now. It's not like, you know, I could fucking make a a joke on Twitter and get feedback in five seconds, you know? And I think that a lot of artists very much do do that because (laughs) because artists, we need feedback. We need affirmation. We need to know that what we do, who we are, what we think is... It's, I'm not saying it's a good need. I'm not saying it's a good desire, but it's one that we all share guiltily or not, right? And that's why social media and that stuff can be such a pitfall yeah. for an, an artist because you end up being performative on that to fill this hole that you had since you were a kid. Yeah. There's a hole that we all have that we needed to fill. That's why we became who we became. Right. You can trace back to everybody's lives who, who became some shit. I guarantee you they got some fucked up story from their fucking childhood mm-hmm. that made them driven and made them want to be appreciated. Um, but also it's the same thing that makes you need that validation sometimes. So, yeah. Correct. It's all wrapped up in that. It wasn't like that back then in the sense that you never, you couldn't expect it. You couldn't mm-hmm. expect to get it until you put yourself in a position to talk to somebody or, or to, you know, um, be that at an in-store or be that at, you know, oh, shit, this graffiti magazine wrote about Company Flow. Like, holy shit, we made it, you know? Um, they also were playing Vital Nerve on High 97. Like, when we what? dropped that shit, in my mind, I was like, oh, it's on. That's like, it. We're, it's, uh, we're, we're going to be 
rap stars. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> I didn't think it would be like, here's what you're going to be. You're going to be critically acclaimed and adored in one segment of, you know, uh, for many, of, many of the world years. <laughs> for many years and everyone else isn't going to know that you exist. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, like we were lucky for the jump. People responded to what we did. We loved it. We loved the fact that the people that we respected and that we looked up to were in our scene, were giving us love back and, you know, and things unfolded from there, you know. So, I mean, it went from my vantage point and, and even what it sounds like from your experience, it went pretty well. In terms of y'all putting out the album, y'all want to put out the way you want to put it out, and people responding like overwhelmingly positively to it. But it seems like if you if you're to look back at, at history, like relative to the time that y'all were created, making records, put them out, it seemed like Big Just ended up leaving the group fairly early on. Yeah, what what led him to want to leave, or or what what was the, what were those conversations like when y'all are coming off of something that that went well? And then it's it's suddenly uh, reconstituting and, and ending relatively quickly. Uh, you know, there was a lot of sort of internal personality differences and things. A lot happened really quickly. I think that um, he was older than me. I was really strong-willed, probably way too strong-willed mm-hmm. for someone who was that age. But I was very much like, I have a vision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, I think that just eventually the difference in age, the difference in experience, you know, he was dealing with a kid who thought he knew everything. He didn't want it the way that I wanted it. I think that that's a fact. I was fucking raring to go. Mm -hmm. I was like, let's go. Let's get famous. Yeah. Let's do this. He was always way more on the low, man. He's kind of like where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like at that time, he... He wanted the props for the art. Right. And I I give him all due respect for this. He wanted the props for the art, but he was not comfortable with people knowing him. Right. He was not very comfortable with doing the promotional stuff or doing the things that you had to do. I was super ambitious and ready for the world to meet me. I was like, let's do this shit. So I think that there were some general personality differences. I think that um, I was very controlling. Being around me at that time when the music was getting made was probably tough, especially if you're a guy who has his own ideas and wants to make his own music. Because mm-hmm. Company Flow started as, it was just my thing. Right. And then I added just, so in my head, it was my thing. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, I'm just being honest. Yeah, that's like, real. I, I'm not, I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that I was pretty domineering when it came to the music. You know, he had to sit there and wait for me to have a brilliant idea. Yeah. And I and, you know what I mean? Like, and you know, in his head, he was like, I, I want to be making shit, right, you know, but right. he's sitting there, sitting there waiting for me going through a thousand shitty beats mm. to come to the, the one that's dope. But I really do chalk it up to the fact that we just butted heads, man. At a certain point, we were thrown into touring. We were thrown into shit pretty quickly that we just didn't have the facilities to really deal with. And it magnified the personality right. differences. It, mag- it magnified the issues between us. And it was on some like, fuck you, fuck you shit. It was like, you know, typical, you know. Too much, um, too fast kind of thing. Too much, too fast. Too many differences that are irreconcilable that that at the end of the day. I mean, for me, I wanted this shit to go on forever. I want company flow to be what I did forever. Mm-hmm. But if I'm being honest, I probably wanted it to be forever 
but with the same power dynamic, like, with the same, right. like, I want it to be ever, but I'm forever in charge of the music, I'm forever in charge of the vi And I don't think that he wanted that. I think he really needed to go out and do his own shit, and he did. Right. And he made some fucking ill records, right. you know? And I'm a fan. That was my brother, mm -hmm. for, and, and I still consider him a brother. I just don't really, we don't really have a relationship anymore the same way. But there was a period of time when that was very special that he was right there. Mm -hmm. And he absolutely was a part of creating what our style was our uh, and the way that we spit and the whole shit. Like, we were right there with each other, mm -hmm. like going back and forth. But yeah, it was it was whack because I was just like, what do you mean? We just got booked to open up for the Beastie Boys. Mm -hmm. You're going to like he quit the day that we were about to leave for a three month European tour in the wintertime. Holy shit. And then come back and open up for the Beasties. And so we basically were like, wait a second. So you're quitting the group and now we're flying to Europe to spend three months in like a German hostel. <laughs> the most low budget possible way you could tour in yeah. any way. And we're going to be up on each other. And now the vibe is just fucked. So you did, know? did, like, you and, we were, did you and Lynn just go on the tour? We all went. Oh, y'all. Oh, went. I see. But the vibe was fucked up because you knew he was cut. He was checked out. Yeah, and it was just like this whack, you know, it was just sucked. And then, and then we were we were like, oh, you're doing a photo shoot for covers of magazines and shit. And we were like, what the fuck did we do here? This one dude who just told us to go fuck ourselves. Mm. We're supposed to put him on the cover of a magazine. It just was all weird yeah. and complicated. And at the end of the day, I wish it didn't go down the way it did, but... We, of course, reconcile, you know, of like, as much as I like when I when I think about, oh, he's old. He was older than me, but he was like 25. Right. You know? <laughs> right. He was That's just a, a little bit more into adulthood, but but not some grizzled veteran at that point. Correct. Correct. We were all experiencing all that shit for the first time. So, yeah. you know, so Company Flow was you. He got added into the group. Then, he, no, it was me. Then, 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 Len, then, Len, and yes, me, and, then, and then him. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. That's um, cool. He leaves. Do you have any... Because you say you're raring to go. Like, you're trying to do this shit. You're trying to take advantage of every opportunity, get your name out there, do your thing. Do you have any hesitance to, like, go so... Like, be a solo performer at that point? I had no interest. Mm. I had no interest. I was not into it. I didn't want to put out records under the name LP. Mm. I wasn't interested. I thought Company Flow was the vehicle. There's something really safe about being in a group. Yeah. You know, I got someone else to 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 take the blame mm -hmm, with me, mm -hmm. and also someone who's down. There's something I always thought there was something cooler about a group right. than just a person. You could be like, "Yo, I want to be in Run DMC." You can't be like, "I want to be in Big Daddy." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be in EPMD. Right. Like I, I I can't be in Slick Rick. Exactly. You know. Um, so I always thought it was the coolest shit in the world. So, so like, yeah, cooler, some, you, something to be down with, like a movement, like a crew, like. Yeah. And it was that, and it, it felt that way, and it was this umbrella where it's like, yo, whatever we do is company flows. I just felt really good in that lane, and I wanted it to be that forever. Plus, we were on the verge of blowing up mm -hmm. on some real shit. Right. And so when that all fell apart, I was just kind of devastated. I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do. So we're going to get into your solo stuff in a later episode. I'm going to start with Fantastic Damage. But to kind of, you know, as we're wrapping up company flow... As much as as much as you're able to get into it, what's the biz behind the record? Like, what we can't stream it. Well, we we re-released it. Okay. Um, at one point through Def Jux, and then we took it down again. It'll come back up, but it's one of those things where we're gonna have to do due diligence and get some samples cleared and ah, do some shit. Ah, right, right, right. Okay. That that you know, at this point, it's like I haven't had the time to. to yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a 
It's a process. It's also one of those things where it's like, I don't control that record. Mm -hmm. Just so that's something that we always split three ways. So like, everything's you know? a conversation. So it's not like you can just make a Everything's move a conversation. Yeah. But I know those guys are down. I know we want to make it available again, and it will become available again. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I've, I've actually had to take, people keep trying to upload that shit to fucking Spotify. Oh, I, I had bet. to fucking take, keep taking it down. <laughs> like, you know, thanks, thanks Spotify for carefully, <laughs> carefully curating my career there. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so, there's so many there's so many fractions of a penny to go around. I just want to make sure everybody everybody gets some, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's the reason you don't get mad. Where you're like, oh, all right, what do they make? Oh, okay, right. Um, we'll get it out. I mean, I think it's one of those things that it's important that it exists out there. It is something that um, I think it's also forever going to be hard to understand the impact of that record right. if you weren't kind of there at the time. You know, you know? but that's that, I don't I got to say that's that's one of the things that ends up bugging me about that whole era, man. Like all of them 12 inches where like you only would hear them even if you either had to have the record or you had to be dialed into like a stretch and bob or like where I was, it was this uh radio station WHBK in Chicago that had three hip hop shows in a week and you had to be dialed in and just like no matter where you were in the country, you had to be connected to these pipelines to hear this music. Mm -hmm. And so much of it was on labels that don't exist no more and then the rights are all messed up and it's sampled records and there's so many reasons why that stuff can't exist right now. But I, I hate it. I hate it. I always feel like it's the business saying that those records don't matter, but they matter so much. You know, and I and I I want to be able to point everybody to all of this shit. Like, check this, right, check right, this, right, right. check this fucking Mr. Complex record, or, or you know what I'm saying, like yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, sure, because because it meant something to me. You know, yeah, it's interesting. It's difficult. It's difficult. All of those records and all those catalog pieces are all scattered to the wind, and everybody, you know, I mean, shit. Even when I like, for instance, when Jux folded. I just said to everybody, just here, take your fucking. That's take your great. <laughs> That's fucking great. It's the only thing I could do. It's like I, I don't have any more money. Right. There's nothing <laughs> happening. Like we're, we're fucking. Like the lights are turning off and shit. But I can do what I would always want somebody to do for me in that situation, which is to say, "Hey, go take your shit." I believe that was the right thing to do. At the same time, think about records from those era, uh, from that era. It takes some fucking heavy lifting yeah. to get a record out there again, to some degree. Putting records out like a company, like a Fun Crusher Plus, there's a process. You have to actually go in and do it correctly and make sure that it comes out and can stay out. There's a lot of hurdles. I feel the same way that you do a lot of times. Not because I, uh, I want that time to be a capsule or whatever, but simply just because I recognize that there's a rub between the technological and business reality of where we landed at in the music industry versus what everybody was kind of doing at the time, which is very much just throwing shit out. And those records were important and potent and meant something to people. And it would be awesome if there was some sort of grandfathered-in clause. Yeah. Like, hey, if you, didn't, if you didn't know shit about the music industry and you just made a piece of art, right. you can put it out this way. Right. You know what I mean? That would be cool. Some sort of creative commons thing yeah. or something that allowed art to exist. It's like telling somebody who did the crazy collage of other people's work, but they made something into it. And then you're saying, well... Sorry, kid, you can't put that on the wall. You didn't license like one of the thousand songs, that, you know, <laughs> right. pictures, you know, pictures that you put on there. It's complicated it and is. I don't really know. I think that one of the things that I tried to do when I was in a position to have a label was that I tried to take some responsibility for curating stuff. And But we didn't know what we were doing either. And we didn't think that it would become this complicated down the line. I guess you, you just kind of thought if a record's out, a record's out. Yeah, man, there should be some sort of legal designation. 
you know, some sort of library of Congress, like, hey, these these records are important, so we won't make no money off of them, but let them exist. <laughs> you know what I, I'm saying? You know, I think that there probably is an argument for that, yeah. actually. And I think that that's really interesting and that someone should see if that could be possible. I mean, shit. But it would take someone who is really motivated. Yeah, whoever that, really find that like, lawyer that you, know, you talk to. That when you know when you was working for him for free, you find he'd probably do it. <laughs> uh, I think I think I I think I know where he's buried. Okay, all right. Well, then that you're right. That wouldn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we're gonna end uh, here in terms of talking about uh, cold flow. We could talk about cold flow for the whole damn season, man. There's 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 so much important music that was made and reflected so much of an important time that there's you know we could just keep talking about that that infinitely, but um. You know, thank you for the for the stories behind the records, because that's what ends up meaning a lot to people when they hear this after the fact. Like just just you saying, oh, yeah, Loon TNS and Last Good Sleep were like the last two songs we did because they and we decided to come like that made my brain explode because it makes so much sense. But I wouldn't have ever. So we appreciate that. And, um, you know, hopefully people out there listening will get a chance to uh, if they haven't heard Fun Crusher Plus. Um, hopefully the legal stars can align sometime soon. I mean, it's on YouTube. Yeah. That's, what I, <laughs> that's I how I listen to it. Too. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's how yeah. I listen to it to, uh, to, to, to do my, my research for my questions. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But, you know, I want to be able to put it on my, my playlist and shit, you know? No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> well, no doubt. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the next year or so. Fantastic. All right, uh, this well, because that concludes this episode of uh, what had happened. Was any any parting words on Company Flow, uh, Mr. LP? Just to say that I can't stress enough that that stuff came out of the vibe between three friends. Great. You know, I look at it like that in a real way, and I still, I mean, me and Len still talk, and you know, that love is still there. So, of course, when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about it through my lens yeah. and through it's very, it's very sort of self centric. It's like, personal, but. It is personal, but the truth is, is that it's it's not just my story. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is very much the story of three dudes who found this little pocket of time where they were really into each other and loved each other's humor and, and minds and musical sensibilities. And it was magic while it was there. And maybe it was only supposed to be there in that little pocket. Looking back on it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't necessarily change anything. Yeah. If I if you were to ask if you could go back in time and smooth out that last argument that you guys had to make you stop doing this shit, I have to think about all the subsequent shit that yeah. has happened and all be the like, dominoes. I can't, yeah. I can't. Yeah, it has to. It had to go like that. I think that that's all I would say. Well, um, shout out to Magic Pockets. We're gonna go through all of your Magic Pockets, uh, Jamie. Just just <laughs> just be prepared for that. Um, thank no, you no. all for listening. We'll catch you next time. This is what had happened was. Only Island Audio.